0: Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we are amazed that we are saved. We're amazed that Christ came. We're amazed that he suffered. We're amazed that he never sinned. We're amazed that the hostility shown against him, which should have been ours. We're amazed that he bore it all. And said it is finished and we're amazed that he was raised from the dead. We're amazed that the God-man, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of the creator and ruler of the universe. That he will come one day in glory. And we're amazed that the Holy Spirit came down into our lives and made us hate sin and love righteousness and cleave to Christ and turn away from all self-reliance. We are amazed that we are saved. Lord, for any in this room who's not amazed at that, I pray that you would either save them or awaken them to what has happened to them. Lord, help me to preach this word with biblical faithfulness and humility and love and prophetic sensitivity to your leading, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are at verse 12 of chapter 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. That's a description of the Christian life. We know from the rest of Romans, we know the context of Romans, this is, this is joy in Jesus. This is hope for Jesus. This is tribulation with jesus this is prayer through jesus to god the father this is jesus all over this verse and therefore it's not hard to make this a christmas text and weave it all together with the birth of jesus and what that birth meant in the life and death of jesus so that's where we're going tribulation hope joy endurance prayer before i unpack those Ask this question with me. What's the theme of the whole paragraph? Verses 9 to 13. What's the main theme? What's the banner flying over the whole thing? Everything's moving towards that. And I would answer love is verse 9. Let love be genuine begins this section. And we saw how abhorring evil and holding fast to the good is essential to love. And then we got to verse 10 we saw that the call to love is now intensified into family relationships of devotion and brotherly love. And so there's this affectional dimension. We saw how loving to give honor rather than loving to get honor is a part of that love. And then I'm skipping verse 11. You'll notice and focusing on verse 12. We'll be back to verse 11 in the future, Lord willing. But it simply intensifies that love with a zeal and a fervency and a service to the Lord And so now here we are at verse 12. And the theme ringing in our ears as we read verse 12 is love. Now to understand how you love, you go back up to verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is. And then it says Good, acceptable and perfect, the will of God. But that's love. That's the summary statement there is you have to have a transformed mind, a renewed mind in order to discern love. Now, that is not easy. And I pause here to stress it because I think verse two is such an important opening means to this chapter. The reason love is hard, one reason there are many. One reason that love is hard is because there's more than one person to be loved. And they have competing claims on your life. There's more than one church to be loved. There's more than one nation to be loved. Not just America, Iraq, Russia, North Korea, China, Cuba. They're all to be loved. And and when you. Especially as a leader, you feel a claim coming to you from a person to be loved. You know that to devote time to that person is not to give time to this person. To give time to this church is not to give time to that church. To give effort to this nation is not to give effort to that nation. And life becomes very complex. How do you know what love demands? When this person to be loved, would you'd think it would mean this and this person to be loved, you'd think it would mean that and you can't do both. I know of no other way to love than for verse two to come true in our lives. Don't be conformed to the world, but have your mind transformed. That you may, I'll paraphrase, smell the will of God, because it's like smelling. It isn't like i got a list of ten criteria. You meet the criteria, you get love. It doesn't work that way because these people have their their criteria and these have their criteria. And time is here and five minutes here means not there. And Should it be five here or ten here or an hour here or all day here? Should you give a week to this person? You can't. There's no way to take a list of things in the Bible, a list of circumstances, put them all together, think it through, come up. Oh, yes, the exact way to love is this person at this time and this way. Life is not like that. The only way I know is to say, you have a mind that when you walk into a situation or wake up in a day, as you humble yourself before the Lord, this new mind smells the path of love and walks in it. I think all of Romans 12 is written to shape that mind. Remember I said, was it last week I said this, that the Holy Spirit works by power from inside and by word from outside. The fruit of the spirit, love, doesn't just emerge from power from within, no word from without. And it doesn't just result from word from without, like love, and no power from within. It's, it's the Holy Spirit going out us two ways. He comes from without by word. He comes from within by power. And he creates a kind of mind that discerns with the mind of Christ and thus sniffs out love. We're not perfect at this, don't? This this mind is embattled mind. It's an effort to always be increasingly conformed to Jesus. Verse 12, rejoice in hope for love's sake. Be patient in tribulation for love's sake. Be constant in prayer for love's sake that Christ might be exalted. So now I'm ready to move to ask, okay, how do they all relate? Love, joy, hope. Endurance or patience and tribulation and constancy in prayer. Have they got any relationships to each other? Are they just beads on a string? One, two, three. Or are they more interwoven than that? Let's start with one of them, namely tribulation. Tribulation, I start here because it's unique in the list. If you list off joy, love, hope, patience, Constancy in prayer. Those are all virtues that rise up by grace in your heart. Tribulation is not a virtue. It comes at you from outside. Disease, rejection, marital strife. Tribulation comes at you and then you have to deal with it. So I'm going to put that first and talk about it. And, and the way I'm going to treat tribulation here in verse 12 is It's the environment or the setting in which you love, in which you rejoice, in which you hope, in which you're patient, in which you pray. All the other pieces of verse 12 are happening in the environment of tribulation. And my main point is it's normal. Tribulation is normal. Some tribulation we share with unbelievers, right? Sickness. Death. Calamity. Some tribulation is unique to Christians being mistreated for Christ's sake. Love, joy, hope, patience, prayer all happen in the context, the environment of tribulation and it's normal. Somebody asked me last night when I finished. You talked a lot about trouble and cancer and death and uh, calamity being normal. You believe in healing? You believe in rescue? I said, absolutely, I do. Anybody that comes to me into the service down here who's sick, I'm going to pray for their healing. And I don't feel the obligation to say out loud, if God wills. I know that's true. God is sovereign. But I want to lay hold on faith and pray that God would grant me the faith to believe He's going to do this and, and see miracles happen. Amen. God has broken into this world. The kingdom has come. We're experiencing miraculous things. That is not the norm. The norm is pain. Jesus was the best man who ever lived and suffered the most. With the most affliction. We do not deserve to have any less affliction than the best man ever had. If you have less affliction than Jesus, which you do, it's sheer mercy. Sheer mercy. Born in absolute scandal, right? Conceived out of wedlock. For goodness sakes, he's the son of God. Born illegitimately. Now we know from the Bible, from Matthew and Luke, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. There was no fornication. Hardly anybody knew that. They just knew this baby was conceived before they were married. He lived with that his whole life long you can see it in the gospel of john when the pharisees get in his face we have abraham as our father we were not born of uncleanness they threw that in his face till the day he died you're a bastard he was born in a feeding trough for animals He was immediately attacked, and they just barely missed him as he had to become a refugee to Egypt for two years. Tribulation after tribulation till the last one, namely, we have no king but Caesar. If you don't do this, you're no friend of Caesar's. Crucify him. And so he dies on a trumped-up charge of sedition, like a piece of meat on a cross that he didn't deserve. And he was the best man that ever lived. Way better than you are, I promise you. And therefore, that's where Christianity begins. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke twelve twenty seven. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his own household? You remember how Paul took this and applied it to Christians? He planted churches all through Asia Minor. He went on his first missionary journey, planted them in Lystra and Derby and Iconium. Then he came back and he did Christianity 101 in every church. Got to get these Christians grounded in the basics of the faith. They're brand new believers. What was he teaching? Here's one sentence from his curriculum. Acts 14, 22 through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Every new believer was schooled. You will suffer. It is normal through many, not a few, not occasionally, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom. There is no other pathway there. If you're saying to yourself right now, hmm, I'm not having any. My response is. You will. You will. And better for you to hear me say this now, that it's normal so that you don't react when it comes as though, Whoa, where did that come from? I didn't bargain for that. That doesn't belong to Christianity. I'm a child of the king. Keep that away. That's not going to happen. You are going to have tribulation, trouble, pain, calamity, disease. You will die. And it probably won't be pretty. Pretty. You need to know that that's coming. We ourselves, Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty three, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan. That's there's just a general statement about Christians. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. These arthritic, back-aching, eye-deteriorating, ear-deteriorating, hair-losing, cancer-ridden, leukemia-ridden, old-age-ridden bodies. We groan. And sometimes it comes when you're young. And sometimes it comes in middle age. And it will come. It'll come from outside. It'll come from within. Cancer, calamity, conflict, death are normal. So, let's at Bethlehem have a balanced celebration of Christmas. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news of great joy. Great joy. Not a little joy. Great joy and that little baby grew up and said do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth I have not come to bring peace but a sword I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household so let's have a balanced Christmas celebration in other words When verse 12 of chapter 12 says, rejoice in hope. Know this, that joy is an embattled joy. It is under constant attack. Constant attack. From inside and from outside. Your joy is under constant attack. Which is why we now move to see it's a joy. In hope. It's a joy in hope. Let's go to chapter five. I want you to read with me once more. These first six verses of Romans five. Hope, joy, tribulation and endurance. Those four things that we see in our text are right here. Only here they're woven together more clearly for us. Romans 5, 1, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here it is, we rejoice in hope, same phrase almost. Hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. There's that word, afflictions and sufferings. Knowing that the suffering produces endurance. There's that word. He's mount, he's, head, he's said all these things before. He's just clustering them together in 1212. 12, and now he's going, I'll, I'm taking you back to see where they all first showed up. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. There's that word. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, we see clearly in this text that we don't rejoice because we don't have tribulations. This text says, amazingly, paradoxically, we rejoice because we have tribulation. Not just in spite of them. We rejoice In our sufferings, because we know what sufferings do. They produce patient endurance, and patient endurance produces a kind of a provenness, and provenness produces hope, and hope won't let you be put to shame because Christ died for you. I am so thankful that we have a God who doesn't just defeat the enemy of tribulation, but turns the enemy. Into a servant of our faith. It would be wonderful if he just defeated it. But instead, he takes it captive. Puts his foot on the neck of Satan. Who, growling behind every tribulation with a design to destroy your faith. Every tribulation that comes your way has a design from Satan and a different design from God. And Satan means, I'm going to get faith out of his family if I have to kill them all. And God takes that enemy by the neck and he says, not only do I defeat you, get down there and serve their faith. And all of our tribulation drives the roots of our joy into hope. We have a great God. Don't think that in the middle of your tribulation. Where's God? Because he's right there with his hand around the neck of Satan. Making him serve your faith. If you'll have it. Rejoice in hope. Why does the stress fall on hope? Why does the stress both in Chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 12, fall on hope. And the main reason is because life is hard and God is good. Tribulations come. They come physically. They come emotionally. They come in your vocation. They come in your family. And they come at death and tribulation means there's nothing right in my circumstance right now that looks very good to me. So you're telling me to joy, rejoice? I don't see anything here to be happy about. And you know what? That is true in a sense. Unless those things around you, all those negative, non-joyful things, drive your joy and its roots down into hope, which is on the other side of the tribulation. For the Christian, the best is always yet to come. Always. No exceptions. The hour before you die, the best is yet to come. The, the minute you wake up on the other side of death, the best is yet to come. Ten million years from now in heaven, the best, the best will be yet to come. Because God shows more and more and more of Christ. The best is always yet to come. So in a profound sense, rejoicing for the Christian will always be in hope. Ground and goal of hope. What is it? What's the ground of your hope? What's the goal of your hope? What is it in? Let me just give you a sentence to explain those two words, ground and goal. If you were back in the Civil War and you were on the Union side. The sentence might come out of your mouth. Ulysses S. Grant. Is our only hope. Now, that's not a hard sentence, and it's got in it these two things that I'm looking for, ground and goal. You're saying Ulysses S. Grant is the ground, the basis, the foundation, his savvy, his ability to make this happen. We're counting on you, Grant. And then you say Ulysses S. Grant is our hope for victory. I said only hope. Our hope for victory. Victory is the goal. So hope looks back. To grant and forward to victory. Now I'm coming to this text and saying. What is the ground and the goal of hope here? Chapter 5 verse 2 again. Since we have been justified by faith. I'm sorry verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ground. God's righteousness lived out by Jesus Christ, Christ's blood come together and take away all our guilt, absorb all of God's wrath, provide a perfect righteousness so that we have a ground of hope in the midst of tribulation that is so much more firm than anything else here. And the roots of our joy can go down into this basis or this ground So I need to ask you here. I need to stop and just get real specific. If you die tonight, Noel and I pray together before we go to bed at night. Hold each other's hands before we sleep. Sometimes we're sitting in bed when we pray. Sometimes we're kneeling by the bed when we pray. I'm real conscious that I might never wake up on earth. And very often we say things like, Lord, very explicitly, we say, You are our Lord. By the Holy Spirit, we say that. We look away from anything we've ever performed or done. We're counting on You. If we die, so here's my question. If that happens to you tonight, and God asks you this question, what right do you have to come into my holy presence as a sinner? You're a sinner. What right do you have not to be incinerated by my holy wrath? What are you going to say to him? Are you going to say, I was a member of Bethlehem. That's a good church. No, we're sinners. All of us. It's not a good church. God is good. We're sinners. While I was baptized or I was better than Joe that won't cut it those are all wrong hopeless answers there is one answer the answer is i have no rights to go to heaven in myself but you told us in your book father you dare to call him father you told him you told us in your book that jesus christ came into the world And he died for sin. And he lived an absolutely perfect life of righteousness. And he rose again. And that if anyone would look away from themselves to Jesus. And believe in him as the one who bore all their sin. And provided all their righteousness. And was the precious treasure of our lives. That if we would look away to him And not to ourselves that you would count his righteousness for us and our sin on him. And we did that. I did that. Big smile is going to come on God's face. He's going to say, that's a very good answer. Because it exalts my son and it exalts me and it puts you down. And that's the kind of people that are in here. Come on in. That's the ground of our hope. Jesus Christ Christ. Blood and righteousness. So in the middle of your tribulation and you're looking for a place to stand and where the roots of your joy can go, they go down there. What's the goal? Verse 2, chapter 5. The goal of our hope. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So here's another question God might ask. You're standing there and you've just given that answer. And he says, one more question. Why do you want to come in here? That'd probably be the first question. Why do you want to come in here? If you say, mom's in there. My mother is. If you say, I hear there's no sickness in there. I don't like being sick. If you say, hell is hot, and that's the only other alternative. I don't want to go there. Those are really bad answers. They're all bad answers. They're not false. They're not false. That will be gift. That's not the right answer. Because there are a lot of people who exalt health and exalt mom And exalt freedom from pain. Which doesn't exalt Jesus at all. The right answer goes something like this. I want to go in there because. The glory of God in the face of Christ. Shines in the most awesome. All satisfying way. And I want that treasure. More than I want anything. I want to see your glory reflected in the face of Christ with an ever-increasing clarity and an ever-deepening satisfaction, I want to be with Jesus. Father's going to smile and say, good answer. I feel honored by that. My son is exalted by that. You come in and we'll throw in mom and freedom from disease along with it. So the ground and goal of your hope is Christ. Now someone might ask at this point, this feels really limiting to say that our joy should be in hope. Because it feels like you're saying that that things in the present you can't be happy about. You can't rejoice in poinsettias or children singing or. Family getting together at Christmas or a good meal this afternoon—you you, you can't it's, you rejoice in hope. So, what's, what's your answer to that, Piper? Two answers: a shepherd answer and a wise man answer. Now, see, these two is, is symbolic. They're real, but they're also very emblematic, right? Shepherds, poor—they're out there, dirty. Kind of, When's was the last time they took a shower? They don't have anything to bring when they come to, to worship. They just come. And the wise men, gold, frankincense, myrrh, they got stuff, man. They got resources. So now, you're saying to both these groups, rejoice in hope. And one feels like that makes all the sense in the world because I got very little to hope in here. I've got very little resources. I'm so thankful to hear there's something good coming beyond this painful life. The wise men might not talk exactly like that because they get gold. They got frankincense. They got myrrh. They got animals to ride on. They might have ridden on elephants. We put elephants in our manger scene. You got any elephants in your manger scene? You know, the Bible doesn't say they came on camels. Where'd that come from? They, we think they came on elephants. So we put elephants in the manger scene. But that's, that's a parenthesis. Excuse me. A little insight into the Piper celebration. Treasuring our traditions, right? What what does a man who has gold and frankincense and myrrh and elephants say when he's told rejoice in hope? When he's got so much around him that he, he can rejoice in. The Bible is real clear that God gives good gifts to us to be enjoyed. You should enjoy dinner this afternoon. You should enjoy your family this afternoon. You should enjoy the measure of health that you have. But only as a gift from god and as an a pointer to him as the ultimate satisfaction of your soul all the pleasures of life point to the one pleasure jesus christ Everything here is dim. Everything is reflection. You may think sex is really hot stuff. You may think that food is really hot stuff. You may think that having a great job or being married or whatever is really the end of the line. It is joy and pleasure intense. promise you, trust me, it isn't. You will barely remember it. When what it is pointing to is given you in the age to come and all that will be in Jesus. So I say for the wise men and we're all in that category in this room. We're all in that category in this room. We're in the wise men category. We got clothes on our back, a vehicle ready to take us home, homes, apartments to go to, food on the table. We're in the wise men category. And God says. Rejoice in hope in the sense that all your pleasant experiences now send your heart flying to the giver to embrace as the ultimate joy of your life. Then they won't be idols. If you embrace meals, embrace sex, embrace money, embrace house, if you embrace all that as an end, you're an idolater if you step on it and it becomes a springboard to praise and thanks to Christ your treasure, then it's not an idol anymore. It's doing what gifts are supposed to do. Let me sum it up. Tribulation is the environment of our lives and normal. Cancer, conflict. Calamity, death. They're all normal. However, Christ, in the fullness of time, broke into this calamity. Broke into this disease. Broke into this conflict. Broke into death. Put humanity on. Was tempted in every way like we are. Wore every pain you'll ever know. Defeated it all. And opened paradise... So that now he himself is the object of our joy. Standing at the center of paradise. And our joy now in the midst of tribulation is not a joy in this stuff which is going wrong all around our life. It's a joy driven down into hope. Resting in him as our goal and glory and ground. And that joy. I'm going to pick up a text here from Hebrews. That joy which is in hope is what provides the endurance in the sacrifices that love demands. Let me read you one verse from Hebrews 12. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's that one, set before him, that's hope, Endured the cross, that's love. Have you ever thought that the greatest act of love that was ever performed was performed by the power of joy rooted in hope? Say it again. The greatest act of love that was ever performed, the death of Jesus Christ for your sins. The greatest act of love that was ever performed was performed in the power of and sustained by joy rooted in hope. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so I say that's the way it will be for us. Let me close by a warning. Do not go away from this message thinking this. Well... There was another one of those otherworldly, conservative, biblical, fundamentalistic calls to drop out and wait for the kingdom. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Because that's not what Jesus did. Nor Paul, nor any great Christian who has ever been satisfied in Jesus. I'll say it this way. If your hope right now, if God is awakening in you an unshakable and all satisfying hope for your future, the result will not be dropping out. The result will be that your mind will be so liberated from the way the world lives, craving and scraping and grasping for all the stuff that keeps us from being loving. Going for our own stuff, going for our own stuff, 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 bringing heaven into this world when it belongs there. The fact that heaven is absolutely secure there means you don't need it here. So you don't need that heavenly family and you don't need that heavenly church. Can be an imperfect church and you don't need that heavenly cabin and you don't need that heavenly car and you don't need that heavenly food and you don't need that heavenly neighborhood. You can let it go because it's just over the hill. 58. It's just over the next horizon. Everything you've ever wanted 10,000 times over. Why would you devote this life To that, when it's free, just over the next hill. Instead, the biblical response, the Christian response, the Christ-like response to heavenly mindedness is to be very earthly useful. Engaged in politics. Engaged in the neighborhood. Engaged in pain of people around you. You're not walking away from pain. You're walking toward pain because God has lifted yours and driven your joy down in an unshakable root of hope. So don't walk out of this room saying another one of those pie-in-the-sky hope sermons. It isn't pie, I promise you. It's Christ. And it's real and it's coming and the effect it has is liberation from worldliness and release of love. And the way you sustain the late nights and the early mornings And the rejections and the hardship and the inconvenience of love and the perplexities of the beloved and how to love a hard, depressed person is sustained by the joy set before us. We endure the cross. Now, you might wonder, This sounds like the sermon's over, which it is. Why didn't you say anything about prayer? It's right there, and you just didn't even talk about it. And the reason is because next Sunday is the beginning of prayer week. And I wanted to save something to say then. And I've got lots to say about how joy and hope and love And patient endurance and tribulation all have to do with prayer. And I'll just give you a little glimpse. We're going to go to Ephesians 1, just like we went to Romans 5 here to shed light on this, where Paul prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which you've been called. Why would he pray that for believers? Don't you know... And the answer is, no, you don't. You don't know. A little fraction you know. And Paul wants you to know so much more of your hope. Because the power it will have in your life to sustain joy in tribulation and sustain love as a cross life is very great. So that's where we're going Next week, and we need a week of prayer. I know we should be praying all year long, all day long, pray without ceasing. But a prayer week has a very great power to set you on a trajectory for 2005 that could change your life.